We are in Philippians chapter 3. Um, begin, we're going to begin at verse 7 and uh, move forward. I don't know if you've ever really done an in-depth study of these few verses, but to me, this is one of the sections in Scripture where when you begin to understand what Paul's saying, it really, really blesses you. And, and what's really awesome, and, and this, I don't know if you've ever seen a writer write a book where he tells you the end of the story and then tells you how he gets there. You ever seen that? Where, like, um, I think one of them was a beautiful, not beautiful mind, American story. He said, yeah, and today's the day I'm going to die. But a year ago, and he tells the story up to the year, uh, to the day he dies. And so this story, Paul's telling it, and then he sets this verse out there. And this verse is like, oh, now i got to go back and read those other verses again, why he said that. Because one of the most powerful verses in this chapter, probably to me in, in, in almost all the scripture, is verse 15. And, and it's a... It's saying what he said also in chapter 2, to have the same mind. And what he's talking about in that verse is what we're going to cover tonight. The same mind that Paul has. But he doesn't say that until after he said all this. So I'm giving you a forward look to what Paul says because once we get there, you would have to take a backward look to come back to where we are now. Because he's, he's building up to that section where he says, let this mind be in you, the same mind that I have. And in verse 15 he says, and if you do not have that same mind, may the Holy Spirit convict you until you do. Wow. Now that's some words right there. So that same mind is what we're going to talk about with uh, these verses. And let's ask God to be with us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is true. The promises in there are almost seemingly too wonderful. The, the grace that you pour out, the strength, the mercy, all these things that you have for us in the passages that you are sharing with us during this season are so transformative. And yet we sometimes look at them and say, well, that can't be true for us. That can't be true at all because, uh, well, it just doesn't seem good that I can have that. And we, we discredit it, Heavenly Father. Tonight, may we receive what Paul has written. May we receive it as the truth that we would be able with our whole being to grasp what he's saying and let it meld into our hearts. Because Heavenly Father, if we don't get this, we don't get anything else. And that's just how it is. Because this is your Son. That we would gain him. Amen. I don't often share my devotional time, what I do in them with you all, or if I do that I do them, but on weekdays and sometimes Saturdays and Sundays, I, uh, I ponder what I've learned the day before, or what I should have learned, what God's teaching me, and I'll write myself a little teaching moment, and I'll put it on my to-do list for the day, and um, 
yesterday, I didn't write a moment about the teaching, but rather a situation of ambivalence that I was dealing with that I wanted to think about yesterday. And, and it came out a little bit in the funeral sermon. I just couldn't help it. It just did. But more so, it is in, I think, every believer's walk, this question. I know it is in mine. And I'm, I'm going to guess that it might be in yours as well. Here's the question I, I wrote to ponder because I've seen this. I wrote, Have I found in myself the joy which truly emanates from Jesus or am I just going through emotions and expressing myself without any true change? Have I truly experienced the transforming grace of Jesus Christ that emanates in the joy which is unspeakable and full of glory or have I limited myself from that? And that's the question I was pondering yesterday. Um, and when I, when I, I, I don't know that I ever resolved it, but I want to share something with you. And this is what Paul's going to say in this passage, something along those lines. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your life won't be filled with a supernatural joy. You will still strive for the things the world strives. You'll be worried about what the world worries about. And you won't have the confidence that comes in knowing that God will make things right one day. You won't have that confidence and the joy that man can't do anything to harm you, which is what we learned in that Mind of Christ sermon in Philippians 2. Now Paul's going to take it to the next level and make it personal. Because if it wasn't personal enough in that section of chapter 2, then it is in this section of chapter 3. And if it isn't this personal in chapter 3, he really drives it home in chapter 4. And we'll get to that. But later on chapter 4. But here he is talking about all the things that he gives himself credit for in the flesh. That in the flesh, Paul has 100% things in his corner to give him status and standing with other people and therefore in their minds and in his mind with God. Fleshly activity to be right with God. Now, if it was all fleshly activity to make you right with God, you wouldn't need Jesus. Am I correct? If you don't need Jesus, all you got to do is the best you can and God will base it on what you've done, right? That's how some people think. Without Jesus, that is how most people understand God. But here's what he says. Now, last week we again talked about all the things Paul said in his flesh that he was born into. Uh, Jewish, circumcised, according to the law, blameless, from the right tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews, plus he was a Roman citizen, um, and according to zeal, persecuting the church and the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. In verse 7 he says this, this is where we finished last week, those things which were gained to me, these I have counted as loss for Christ. Now, that statement Face value is powerful, but when you take it a little further, what he's saying is, I can't trust my flesh when it comes to Jesus. I can't trust my own goodness, my own status, my own worthiness based on my fleshly activity with Jesus. But he said at one time, this is all I put my stock in. 
that he was all in with doing things the right way according to the law and the temple and the Hebraic tradition. All those things. Being a Pharisee, completely, totally doing things the Pharisaic way. And he said, all those things I worked for, he said, those things I considered gain. Those things I considered favor with God, favor with man. In my own mind, I was good. But when I met Jesus, that stuff didn't matter anymore. I considered that stuff as a loss. The things that were important to me in my flesh, which gave me status and importance, I considered as loss for Jesus. That's a powerful statement. But if you don't know what it meant to him and on what level it speaks to us, you're going to miss it. So I this next couple of verses which explain that seventh verse. Clear it out. I think last week I even shared with you that this passage really helped me when I was in college. In verse 8 he says, Yet indeed, I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That sentence, that's only part of the sentence that begins at verse 8. It goes on into the verse, uh, end of verse 11. <laughs> that's how long that sentence is. But we're going to unpack that right there first. He says, Indeed, I count all things lost, for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everything that he knew and thought was important, he lined it up with the truth of Jesus Christ. If it did not line up with the truth of Jesus, he said, it's gone. I may have put my life ambition into it. I may have worked eight to faint or 4 a.m. to midnight every day working for this thing. But now that I know who Jesus is, if it doesn't line up, all that work was pointless to me now. That which I gave my life for without Jesus, when Jesus came, changed what I was doing. I don't know how to say this real well, but I think I can say it like this. The man who was Saul on the way to round up Christians to be murdered in Jerusalem on the road to Damascus was not the man who came back from Damascus as Paul. The man who was on the way to Damascus did not know Jesus, was doing the work of rounding up Christians who he thought were blaspheming because they said... Sounds like you can hear it anyway. Yeah. 
It's crazy. I'm thinking I'm losing signal out of that thing. We'll let you know when your video is ready. Live video. We'll do this again. Restart. Boom. What's that? It did, um, and I'm not sure what. Starting live video. It doesn't look like it's starting yet. No, it's not the battery. Doesn't have a signal. It says it's got three bars, but I don't think that, that thing back there is doing us any good. They're just going to have to listen to the audio. That's all I can say. Because I, if that starts going, it goes. If it doesn't, I can't make it go. It, that wind stream is not picking up good signal for us right now. So if it comes in, it does. It's going? Okay, we're back. This is continuation. <laughs> we had a wind stream internet issue. Complain to Windstream, please, on our behalf. Thank you. Um, we are looking again in Philippians chapter 3, continuing with that. And what's happening is Paul is stating that everything that he was as Saul when he met Jesus stopped. Do you remember what Paul who was Saul, said when Jesus stopped him and shone the light on him. Do you remember what he said to him? He said, who are you? It was Jesus shining his light on Saul, and he said, who are you? He didn't know who Jesus was. And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting with your life, with your beliefs, with your own self-righteousness, and you're persecuting me with it. And then he gives him some instructions on what he's got to do and what's going to happen and what he's going to be doing for the rest of his life. And Paul was birthed in that moment. You cannot take a person who's 100% one direction and then in two seconds have him go the opposite direction saying oh, everything I did wrong was before. That this stuff isn't any good anymore. I was wrong. You don't just change your mind and go another direction like that unless there's a radical change in that person. It is physically, emotionally, mentally an impossibility for you to do that without a psychological major overhaul of who you are like that. And to never go back to that old man and start persecuting what he was persecuting and to keep going the other direction cannot happen by man's choice. You cannot make your life do that. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And Paul said, all this stuff, on the road to Damascus, I've considered gain, I now consider it as a loss. Because it was hurting Jesus. It was a loss. Now count, he says, those things as garbage, rubbish, that I might... Gain Jesus. And if you've never read that verse in a position where you'd been trusting other things instead of Jesus, and then all of a sudden you realize it wasn't helping, 
that you'd made bad choices, when you get to that point and you start turning to Jesus, things will change. I, did I tell that story last week about that day in college? I can't recall. But I was in college one day, and it was not, not recent. It was my freshman year, and I read this passage out of my NIV Bible. I think I told this story last week, but it bears repeating. In that moment in my life, I had said, well, I'm called to be preaching. I'm called to do this. I'm called to do that. And so I'm going to keep doing this. And, and I was very prideful. I was, in, I was not confident. I was very shy. But I was prideful. Because I had things that I thought were important to me. At the time, you know, I was fairly athletic. I was into music, uh, a lot of different things. I thought, you know, I had a great personality and all these other things. And I was considering that God could use me because of all those things. And that was my testimony. But when I read this passage, it said, I, I count garbage everything else but knowing Jesus. That I would rather have nothing that I know is true of my life and have Jesus and lose this other stuff because without it, without Him, it doesn't matter. And I sat on my dorm room bed and I wept over this and saying, Everything up to this point is garbage, Lord, if I don't have you. It's garbage. It's rubbish. I, I, I don't want it if I can't have you. Because it doesn't matter if you call me to preach. If you're not in it, I can't do it. And if, and if I have these dreams and hopes for my life, but you're not in it, it doesn't matter. It's garbage. And so you reclaim and recycle what you can use from the garbage of my life and the rest of it, let's leave there. And I wept before the Lord just praying that, seeing how many things I had placed before Him pridefully, selfishly. And I had to lay them down. And of course, over the years, I've had to do that many times now. Picking stuff up that, don't, that doesn't really build a relationship with Jesus and laying it back down. Just like Paul, I began to see that everything that I treasured all the things that were mattered to me, all the dreams and all the thoughts, you know, young guys uh, think about the perfect relationship and what they think God ought to give them and all those things. And I said, God, they're my dreams, and, but without you, they're garbage. And it hurt. It hurt because I was placing those desires ahead of what God wanted. And to say they're rubbish without Jesus was a very difficult thing for me. But I said, God, if you don't bless this journey, and if you're not with me in this journey, it's not worth taking. And so I had to lay it all down that day. And it, and it wasn't easy. Don't, don't get me wrong. It was painful. And, but I cried before the Lord that day. And here's what was interesting. After that time of prayer, when I said that it was all over, there was a sense of peace washed over me. I said, God, you're going to resurrect what I, what I need and the rest of it I'm just going to leave in the trash. And that's what Paul said. All this pridefulness, this man-based credibility, flesh-based credibility is just pride building. It's not relationship with Christ building. And he said, that's all garbage. And so I counted as garbage. So that I can be found in Jesus, not in what I think is important. 
So I be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. Not that that what I do is right, not that what I do is good, not that what I do is holy, but rather that I'm found in Jesus and that He would give me the righteousness through faith in Christ, which is a gift by faith. In other words, if you don't have a gift of righteousness by God through faith in Jesus Christ, you have man righteousness. It's self-righteous. It's all generated by your own strength and power. It's not godly. It's not from God. And that pride will say, but I'm doing the right things. I'm helping people. I'm loving people. I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. And that's what we say. I'm doing the best I can. I can't do any more. I ain't got any more resources. I've heard that one a lot. I don't have anything else with to give. I don't know what else to do. I, I don't know how to do anything else. I've heard all the reasons except for this one. I haven't come to Jesus to lay that stuff down because what God wants me to do, He'll give me the resources to do. And the stuff I hold on to too tightly that isn't from God, that hasn't been blessed to me after laying it before the cross, the stuff that I keep picking up that isn't from God, those things aren't going to help that journey. They're going to burden me. They will. And they'll burden you too if you do the same. And so he says, righteousness which which is from the law will never make you have peace. You'll just think, well, I did it right. It'll give you pride. It won't give you peace. But the righteousness which is a gift of God by faith in Christ, that righteousness will give you peace in your heart and true joy. It will. Why do you think that is? Verse 10. Because then you'll know who He really is. And you'll know the power of His resurrection when that happens for you. And you will know the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. And that by some means you may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, now, don't want you to miss this. When you know who He really is and the power of His resurrection, nothing else matters until you have it. Once you have that, everything else falls in line. Remember, in chapter 2, he was talking about to have the same mind of Christ, that we are seated with Him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. That's by the righteousness, which is by faith in Christ, that that faith elevates us into that relationship and puts us at the right place where we're supposed to be. That is not our doing. It isn't anything we've done. It isn't anything we've said. It is by being in a relationship with Jesus Christ that our mind has been renewed and transformed to understand that God has bought us into this with the price of His Son's blood and that blood has washed us clean, which is called being righteous. And now we need to be sanctified, which means set apart, and holy, which means being used for God as sanctified believers. Scripture says it calls sinners to repentance and believers unto entire sanctification so that we can be used in a holy accord with God's purposes. We can be used by God as a vessel unto honor. In so doing then, that moment that that happens, we realize that we know that the power of His resurrection rests on us to make us sanctified for God's purposes, that we didn't do that. Okay, we're back. No, we're not. This is 
You know, if um, if this doesn't work this time, I'm not going to restart it because I'm only from restart. <coughs> Again, the audio will even catch those breaks for us. Um, and so, when Jesus Christ has come into us and transformed us, and we realize that He has exalted us after realizing being human is a humiliating experience. Because this is not our proper place. This world is not our home. Everything that this world provides to us isn't good enough for God's children. This world's going to have sickness, suffering, loss, hurt, lies, deceit, death, bitterness, unforgiveness, you name it. All those things that are not godly, this world provides. Those who belong to Jesus are seated with Him in the right hand of God the Father Almighty and a part of that kingdom. And we know that because we know His resurrection is real. We know Him and the power of His resurrection we know also because He has transformed us from the Saul-type dead thinking to realizing that without Jesus we have nothing and that everything without Him is garbage. All the things we treasured before is junk. It's the nicest way to say this is it stinks and smells bad type garbage. Rotting garbage without Jesus. That's what he's talking about. And so, that I might know him and that power of that resurrection. And when you know that power of that resurrection, Saul becomes Paul. It isn't instantaneous that he becomes the great powerful preacher. He had to relearn everything just as we do. Also have to relearn who we are. It doesn't mean a brand new Christian knows all the things that they are in Jesus. They just know that Jesus is. And that's the first truth. You know him and the power of his resurrection. He saved you from dead works. Which is what Paul had. Dead works. Dead works bought man's righteousness. And he said that I would know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now Paul is talking about this for his experience. But it is unilaterally true for every Christian. Every Christian will have this experience that without Jesus, nothing else matters. And you will have that point in your life where you finally say, when Jesus becomes real, I've striven for the wrong things for a long time. But now that God is who He is and I know it and He's transforming my heart and mind, I know that what I used to think was important is nothing compared to knowing Jesus and the power of His resurrection. And that's what Paul's saying here, that we will have that mindset as well. Think about it. Right into Damascus, rounding them up to kill these Jesus-loving, God-blaspheming Christians to saying, I'm riding with them. That's transformation. He knew Jesus and the power of His resurrection because He was a transformed soul. That is what you can do with the power of Jesus Christ. So, that's why my question has been there. Has the joy come from Jesus, or is it something we have to force? Have we truly had the all things have lost without knowing Jesus? Is Jesus the most primary, ultimate thing in your life, or is He just another option among many? 
If he's not your first choice and your only choice, there's your answer. And whatever your answer is to that, let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you come under condemnation. And stand before God in the truth. He already knows your truth anyway, right? I swear to God for the people of God. Amen.